You guys can turn to Philippians chapter 3. Actually, we'll be in both chapters 2 and 3 today. We'll start in chapter 3, so you can turn there. Well, we have a, a pastor at Grace Bible Church. You may not have met him. His name is Buck Anderson. He's usually over at the Anderson campus. Buck loves sports analogies, so he's, he's always followed sports. He's into all sports, and, and that has infiltrated kind of the way he speaks in meetings. And so when, when Buck came onto staff around the same time that I did a, a while back, um, he would start to use sports analogies in meetings. He actually had a knack for connecting every single thing we do as a church to something to do with football or baseball. And that's a problem for me because I don't really like sports and I don't really know sports. So a lot of times when I would get lost in his metaphors and the meeting is moving forward, and I, just, I have no idea what this man is saying because I don't know baseball. I don't know what to do with this. And so it was really shocking to me when a few years ago I was leading a staff meeting and I remember saying, well, that is the best play we can run. And I had to stop for a second. Wait a minute. That's not how Blake speaks. That, that's something to do with football. I don't even know exactly what we're talking about. How did that come out of my mouth? And I was amazed because I don't want to think of myself as a follower. I like to think of myself as an independent thinker. I like to think of myself as a unique person. And yet my brain betrayed me. My brain demonstrated that I had absorbed some of these sports metaphors from Buck without thinking about it. There was no intention there. It was not conscious. Buck had had an influence on me without me even realizing it. And actually, that is not my fault. It turns out that all human beings are born imitators. That has been backed up by science. There's a famous 1977 Oxford study that found that infants as young as 12 days old are already capable of imitating the facial expressions of adults. So 12 days old, they haven't had any time to learn anything. That's just hardwired into their brains. That's actually how you, as an infant, learned to communicate was through the process of imitation. You imitated adults. That is just something that God programmed into human beings. We have an innate capacity to imitate. Another pioneering study done by a team of French and American neuroscientists found that we don't learn as human beings. We don't learn to imitate. It's actually part of our biological nature. We are born to imitate. You cannot help but imitate. And that's, that's surprising to a lot of people, especially in the Western world. We pride ourselves on our independent thinking ability. We like to think of ourselves as unique and independent in all we do. We don't like to think of ourselves as followers, and yet we all are. It was hardwired into your genes. You are a follower because you are a human. And so this morning, as we look at a passage that is about imitation, that's the subject of our passage this morning, the question is not, will you imitate people? That's easy to answer. Yes, you will. I will. We all will. We cannot help it. We will all imitate because that's born into our genetics. The question for us this morning is, who will you choose to imitate? That's all you get to pick. You don't get to choose whether you imitate other people. You will, for sure. All you get to pick is who you are going to imitate. Who are the role models you're going to look up to in life? Who are the people that you are going to learn from? Now, we're at church, so of course the right answer is always Jesus. You are to imitate Jesus. Yes, you 
are to imitate Jesus. He's the only perfect human being who has ever lived. He is the ultimate role model for all of us. And yet Jesus is not here in the flesh. You cannot go to lunch with Jesus. You cannot see how Jesus interacts with your boss. You cannot see how Jesus raises his kids or how Jesus balances his checkbook. You, you need other people in the flesh who you can learn from. You need role models who you're doing life with that you can look up to and follow. And so that's what Paul's going to challenge us with this morning. He's going to talk about finding role models in the flesh, people that you're doing life with that you can look up to. He knows you're going to imitate someone, so he wants you to imitate the right kind of people. So look with me at chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 17. We're kind of looking at a couple different passages this morning that talk about the same subject. So Chapter 3, verse 17. Paul says, Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. For many walk of whom I've often told you and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. And we'll pause here. We'll come back to this passage and finish it later. So Paul is challenging the Philippians to imitate the right kind of people. And he says, join in following my example. What he's saying there is join together in following me. Now, at first, that kind of probably feels a little arrogant for Paul to be saying, hey, follow me. Paul's a bit of an exception. Paul actually saw and heard Jesus. He was one of the apostles. That's actually kind of the the point of the apostles. There are men who walked with Jesus who were examples to the rest of us. And so it's good for Paul to say, follow me, because I actually know Jesus. I've seen him. But Paul doesn't just want them to follow him. He also says, pay careful attention to those who live according to the principles and practices that I've passed on to you. Paul wants the Philippians to be looking out for, for other Christians who are living out all that the New Testament commands. Okay, so find people who are living this book and pay careful attention to them. Watch them closely. Look to see how do they live their life? How do they do their work or study at school? How do they raise a family? How do they handle their money? How do they get through life? Watch these people carefully and learn from them because, and then Paul gives us a warning in verse 18, there's lots of other people in this world you should not follow. You're going to follow someone, so make sure, pay attention to the right kind of people to follow, because verse 18, there are lots of bad role models in this world who are actually enemies of the cross of Christ, people you should not follow. So Paul wants us to follow the right kind of people. He wants us to be very careful in who we choose to follow. And there's kind of a couple things that are going to be going on in the passages we're looking at this morning. Two ways to think about it. First of all, we're going to think about how do we choose the right role models to follow. A lot of us in this room are young. A lot of you are college students. So you're at kind of a key period in your life where you are choosing the people you're going to follow and learn from and emulate. Okay, so how to choose the right role models. That's, that's half of what this passage is about. The other half of what this passage is about is kind of the flip side of the coin. How do you become the right kind of role model for other people to follow? Okay, so whatever age you are, you're older than someone else. And so you already need to become becoming the right kind of role model for somebody younger to follow. That's especially true for those of us who are parents. Our kids are going to emulate us. So how do we become the kind of parental role models our kids should follow? So we kind of have both things going on this morning. How do you choose the right 
role models to follow and how do you become the right kind of role model for other people to follow. So Paul is going to give us, over the course of this morning, all that we're going to look at, five characteristics of ideal role models. That's kind of where we're headed. Five characteristics of ideal role models to follow in your own life and to become for someone else to follow. So he's going to start with Timothy. He's going to point to Timothy as a great role model to follow. Turn back to chapter 2. I'm going to pick it up. In chapter 2, verse 19, Paul is going to tell us about Timothy and why Timothy is worthy of us following. So look at verse 19. But I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. For they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. But you know of his proven worth, that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel, like a child serving his father. Therefore I hope to send him immediately, as soon as I see how things go with me, and I trust in the Lord that I I myself also will be coming shortly. So Paul points us to Timothy. Um, Timothy had been walking with Paul for a long time. A long time up to this point. So long that Timothy actually could be sent basically as Paul's emissary. Like Paul could send Timothy out to go do what Paul needed done in a church. And that was the plan. Paul was going to send Timothy soon to check in on the Philippians. To encourage them. And then to report back to Paul. So Paul wouldn't be worried about this church. He knew he could trust Timothy. And in talking about Timothy, Paul tells us two things in particular about Timothy that are worth emulating. This is why Timothy is such a great role model for us to follow. The first is he is selfless. Ideal role models are selfless human beings. Now, the natural human state, like what humans are like in their natural state, just if they do what comes naturally, that's perfectly described in verse 21. Look at verse 21. For they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. And by all, he means all. That's what all people do by nature. We all seek after our own self-interest. That's actually what we do from the moment we're born. You do not have to teach a baby how to care about its own interests. It's going to do that. We are born selfish, looking out for our own interests, our own needs. You actually have to teach a child how to look beyond his or her own needs and interests to the needs and interests of others. That's selflessness, and that's not natural. Selflessness is not a natural thing for the human race. It's actually very hard work. You have, to, you have to train it. You have to work at it to be willing to look beyond your own interests and desires and care deeply about the interests and desires of other people. Well, that's exactly what Timothy has done. Timothy puts their welfare above his own. Timothy cares more about how the church is doing than how he is doing. Timothy puts the interests of Jesus and the furtherance of the gospel above his own personal interests. What that means is that Timothy is willing to to give up his interests and desires to help other people to know and follow Jesus. Okay, so he's a man who is selfless. You should look up to people who are selfless. Those are the ideal role models we should look for in life. But how do you find somebody like that? Like it's, it's easy to say, hey, find somebody who's selfless. But what does that actually look like? Practically speaking, what are the outward signs of a person who is selfless? I'm going to give you three outward signs of selflessness. First thing to look for in someone who is selfless, they're quick to listen and slow to speak. 
quick to listen and slow to speak. A selfless person, when a, when a selfless person meets another person, they're more interested in learning about the other person than telling that other person about themselves. That's just kind of the direction that the conversation goes. A selfless person asks questions and genuinely, authentically wants to know the, the, the life, the story, the opinions, the desires, the dreams of that other person. I like to put it this way, that the selfless person is fascinated, not fascinating. I've mentioned that often. What I mean by that is they're, they're fascinated with the other person. They're not a fascinating person that wants everyone to know about them. For, for an example of this, I looked at my friend Chris Merrill. He's one of the pastors here at Grace Bible Church. He works with Launch Global. Um, Chris is remarkable in that when he meets someone new, like I've been with him when he, when he meets someone new, you can see this look come over Chris's face. It's like this genuine fascination to get to know this other person. And I've watched him in the course of like an hour-long conversation with someone he just met. If I was to step back afterwards and think, what percentage of the time was Chris talking versus what percentage of the time was this person talking? It's always heavily weighted towards the other person talking. Because that's how Chris wants it to be. He wants to show this other person, hey, I genuinely care about you. I want to know who you are, what you value, what your story is. And it's important, but it's not that Chris is like, it's not that that other person's like a project he's trying to work. He really wants to know this other person. He genuinely chooses to be fascinated with that other person. And that's what selflessness looks like. Okay? That, that's a beautiful thing when you model that to a person. So quick to listen, slow to speak. That's the first outward sign of someone who's selfless. Second outward sign, quick to share. This is a kind of person I like to say, they have loose hands on their things, meaning all their money, all their possessions, all their time, they hold it loosely. So if there's a need that comes about, they're quick to share. It's like they're, they're always ready to share. In fact, they're so ready to share so radically that most of the world would say that's kind of crazy. It's a little bit ridiculous how free you are with your things. That's what it looks like to be selfless. And for me, I think of Chris and Amy McGuffey. Chris was up here earlier today. They live down the street. For us on staff, we just know like if we have a need, like if we need a thing or we need someone's time or their ear, you go to the McGuffey's because they are so incredibly free with their time and their possessions. They love to give. That is selflessness. That's what it looks like. So you're looking for people who are just free with their possessions and with their time. Quick to share. Third, quick to invite. Quick to invite means it's a person who is just always inviting in to their life new people. And for this one, I think of my friend Nathan Sorrell from college. When we were in college, we would often hang out, have dinner, um, uh, watch a movie. Nathan was always likely to show up with someone we'd never met. You know, some, some guy he just met doing laundry or shopping or in class. And it would always be some guy who was maybe like new to town or didn't have many friends yet. And Nathan just invites him. So just in the course of chatting, Nathan finds out, hey, this guy doesn't yet have a community, doesn't have a lot of friends. And so all of a sudden we'd look up and, hey, there's this new guy hanging out in our apartment because Nathan has brought him along because Nathan is selfless with his time. He wants to always invite new people into his life. That's what selflessness looks like. That's a, a model worthy of following. Okay, that's, that's what you're looking for in ideal role models, someone who's selfless. They're quick to listen, slow to speak, quick to share, quick to invite. Okay, so that's our first trait and an ideal role model. We learned that one from Timothy. Here's a second one we learned from Timothy. So ideal role models. Not only are they selfless, but they are proven. 
Eunice Paul talks about Timothy's proven worth. Like I said, Timothy had followed Paul for a long time now. He carried a lot of responsibility. Timothy had proven to be a good role model, not just for a period of weeks or months, but for many years. He had demonstrated this willingness to walk through the trials of life and keep following Jesus, even when it was difficult. And specifically, Paul mentions two areas of life where Timothy had proven himself. First of all, submission to authority. Paul says Timothy served like a a child serving his father. Timothy submitted to Paul's Authority. That's a mark of someone who is worth following. Over the long years of their life, they're willing to submit to the authorities God has placed in their lives, joyfully submitting to authority. Second, service to the gospel. Timothy had proven a servant of the gospel, giving his time and his sweat to advance God's kingdom rather than his own kingdom. So Timothy has proven himself. So let's get specific. What are you looking for? Well, you're in, in a role model that you're going to follow, you're looking for someone who has decades of proven faithfulness to Jesus. You're looking for a long track record. Now let's kind of take the flip side of this. What I think this is challenging us to do is beware of the cult of the young and new within Christianity. That's very prevalent in our society at large. We know You look out in the world and who do people listen to, who do people admire, who do people watch. Well, generally speaking, it's young people. Like our society cares a great deal about Ariana Grande and Taylor Swift and Post Malone. And there's nothing wrong with any of those celebrities. I'm not calling them out. What's concerning is that our society in general cares so much about the opinions of people who aren't 30 yet. two of those people aren't even 25 yet. And that means like their brain hasn't fully developed yet. That doesn't come till 25. It's a little bit dangerous. If we're looking up to people who aren't even 30 yet, those are our role models. Okay, that's true of the world at large. Unfortunately, it's often true within Christianity too. Within the church as well, you see often this, this cult of the young and the new. We are quick to run after and follow people who are young and new. I remember when I was um, recently married, I was handed a book on marriage that was written by a guy who was in his 20s and wasn't yet married. <laughs> I did not read that book. <laughs> he may have be one of the great authors, an incredible author. That's not the point. I'll read it later. I'll read it after he's proven himself in life. I'm very careful not to open my soul to someone writing Christian advice who's not lived long enough yet for me to trust them. I'm really cautious about that. You've got to be careful when people are, are young and they're speaking like that. I see the same thing in a, in a lot of like megachurch preachers. Sometimes large churches are handed to guys who are very young and inexperienced simply because they can preach really well. Let me promise you, <laughs> preaching skill is no substitute for age. You need age and how it proves people through suffering over time. When I was handed the keys to Southwood, I was 32. I am incredibly grateful that I was still under the authority of Brian as my boss and under the elders and surrounded by peers who were pastors who were equal to me on the org chart who could incur. I was not ready to run this place at 32. Are you kidding? I'm 42 now and I'm still not ready to run this independently. We need to prove ourselves over time. Look for role models who are proven over the long course of their life. So for me, I I read lots of stuff, including stuff written by young people. But the authors who I really give access to my soul, that I just open myself up to, they're all dead. That's my general (laughs) principle. 
I, I will open my soul completely to you when you're dead. So I've seen your whole life. I've seen that you stayed faithful to Jesus all the way. I'm surprised you're laughing at that. That's, I, my wife and I, that's our general principle. We will, we, we'll give you access when you're young, but we'll give you full access when, when you've lived your whole life. When, when we can see it all. How did you live your whole life? Were you faithful to the end? So guys like A.W. Tozer, C.S. Lewis, Hudson Taylor, Prof. Hendricks from DTS, now Eugene Peterson who just passed away last week. Man, these guys, they, they get a lot of access into my soul because they followed Jesus all the way to the end. They proved to be faithful. Hey, I, I do. Like I, said, I still follow people who aren't dead yet. I don't give them quite as much access. I still do follow them, but typically I'm looking for a long track record. So some of the authors that I follow who are still living, people like Beth Moore, people like Tim Keller, they've been walking with the Lord for a lot of years. People who, who aren't authors but who are leaders in my life, I, I, we have lots of elders. Some elders are, are my age. I love them. They're, they're peers to me, but the elders who are older than me, man, I really look up to them because they've been walking longer with the Lord than I have. Pastors who are older than me still following when I look up to them because I see that they're proven by time. And so as you look for role models, there, there is no substitute for age and experience and who we look up to. We want to be looking up to those who've been walking with Jesus for a long, long time. Okay? That's just an important principle. So we want people who are proven. For the next set of traits, we're going to look to the next example, a man named Epaphroditus. Okay, so that's where the passage goes next. In chapter 2, we're going to pick it up in verse 25. So our second role model, a man named Epaphroditus. But I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger and minister to my need, because he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed he was sick to the point of death, but God had mercy on him and not on him only, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore I have sent him all the more eagerly so that when you see him again you may rejoice and I may be less concerned about you. Receive him then in the Lord with all joy and hold men like him in high regard because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. A little background, Epaphroditus is actually the guy who carried the letter. So when Philippians was written, someone had to carry it to the church in Philippi because there wasn't email, there wasn't even a good postal service back then. So Epaphroditus is the guy who carried it back. He carried it back because he was a member of the church in Philippi. He belonged there. He had been a faithful member of the church in Philippi for a long time. And so when the church in Philippi heard that Paul was in prison, they sent Epaphroditus to care for him. And, and the reason is Paul was in house arrest. That was the form of prison he was in. And, and in Roman house arrest, you were, you were kept in your home. You had to provide your home, your clothing, and your food. There was a catch. You couldn't work. You, you were in house arrest. You were literally chained to a soldier all the time. Kind of a catch-22. And so for Paul, Epaphroditus needed to come. Epaphroditus, we don't know if he worked or if he brought money from the churches. We don't know how he got the funds that were needed, but he was the one who got the money, bought the food, and took care of Paul's physical 
practical needs. And so Paul developed a really close affection for Epaphroditus. He really cared about him because of how Epaphroditus cared for him. That's the meaning of the odd phrase in verse 30. Paul's not calling out the Philippians. He's not rebuking them. What he's saying is, you guys are a thousand miles away. You, you couldn't be the ones that actually bring me food and keep me alive. Epaphroditus has done that on your behalf. That's why I'm so grateful to him and to you. Okay, so Epaphroditus, as Paul talks about him, what Paul wants us to notice in Epaphroditus is, is his willingness to suffer for others. That's our third trait. He says in verse 30, he came close to death for the work of Christ. He came close to death out of his service to Paul. We don't know how exactly Epaphroditus got sick. We just know it happened through his service to Paul. Taking care of Paul in prison. That's what got Epaphroditus sick to the point of almost dying. Epaphroditus was willing to suffer for the sake of others. That's what Jesus did. That's what Jesus challenged us to do. So Jesus told us, take up your cross and follow me. Take up your cross. That's an instrument of suffering. Be willing to suffer like me on behalf of other people. That's what Epaphroditus was willing to do. That's what we are called to be willing to do. So I'll give you some examples. What does this look like? Role models who are willing to suffer for others. Well, I, I have a, a friend, I don't know who he is, who anonymously mowed my lawn one summer when I and my family were on vacation. He, he just figured, hey, when Blake gets home, the last thing he's going to want to see is I got to go out today and mow the lawn. It's really high. Neighbors are going to say something. And so he came over for a couple hours on a hot summer afternoon, gave up that time with his family, if he was married, I don't know, and mowed my lawn. And I, can, I don't know who it is, but I look and I say, wow, whoever that is, that's, a, that's the kind of person I want to follow. He sacrificed his time and comfort to take care of me. Another example that I think of is a girl whose name I can't mention. Many of you know her. She was here at, the, at Grace for a long time. She has chosen to live and witness in a closed Muslim country. So I can't even tell you where she is now. She's chosen to sacrifice the comforts of home, the, the intimacy of close friends here in the States, pull up the stakes on her life and go overseas to a very dangerous place. She's taken a huge risk. To go to a place where Christians are arrested and martyred for their faith. She's chosen to do that so that people who don't know Jesus can hear about him. She is an example who's worthy to follow. That's the kind of role model we should look up to. Willing to sacrifice self, to suffer for the sake of others. I think about our elders. And our elders are not paid at Grace Bible Church. The position of elder is an incredibly unglamorous position. What many of you may not know is that elders are like probably the thing they spend the most time doing in terms of what it means to be an elder. They're the people who willingly enter into the hardest interpersonal situations in our church. When a family is suffering... When a family is, is broken up and struggling and doesn't know what do we do, how do we work through this grief, through this problem, it's the elders who step into that. In those painful moments, those hard moments, and they don't do it for fame, they don't do it for money, they do it out of love. Because they want to love on that family, on that person, and care for them. That's the kind of role model we should follow. People who are willing to suffer for the sake of others. So, that's the, the next trait we're looking for in ideal role models and the next trait that we want to be true in our own lives so that others can follow us. Now for the final couple of traits, we're going to go back to chapter 3. So the passage that we started with. Back to chapter 3 and let's pick it up in verse 17 again. So we're going to reread a couple of verses and read to the end of the chapter. 
It says, Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. For many walk of whom I've often told you and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has has even to subject all things to himself pretty great ending to that passage paul begins though with some ugly stuff he tells us the kind of people not to follow so bad role models people who are opposed to the gospel opposed to the gospel doesn't just mean they say no to the gospel means they ridicule people who actually believe in the gospel Um, they're destined for destruction what that means is if they continue on this path that they've set in life they will end up being condemned by god whose god is their appetite that's a fancy way of simply saying they live to satisfy the desires of the flesh like that what is ultimate in life to them is their appetites for for food for drink for pleasure for sex those are the things that derive that drive all their decisions That's what's ultimate. That's their ambition in life. Who glory in their shame. What that means is it's not just that they sin. It's that they actually celebrate their sin. They don't feel any guilt or regret over it. They think they're cool because of the sins that they commit. They set their mind on earthly things. They're living for the things this world can offer. This life can offer. Now, you look at that list and you maybe think, well, I would never follow that kind of person. I mean, come on, Blake. I'm not going to set as my role model somebody who's an enemy of the gospel. Well, I, I think here's the bigger danger. Let me tell you a little story that my wife gave me permission to share. Um, a number of years ago, my wife, who is very fit, she was at the gym running fast on a treadmill that was on the front row of the gym. So where everyone could see, she's running at a really good clip and she's watching TV in front of her. The problem was the TV wasn't In front of her, it was a few feet off to the side. It was just over here. And so as she ran really fast, her head was turned just a little bit to watch this show. And everything was going great until all of a sudden, one foot steps on the stationary rail of the treadmill and she got catapulted off in front of the whole gym. It was a funny sight. What had gone wrong? Well, she was not looking straight ahead. She was looking slightly to the side, and your body will always go where your eyes are focused. It may take time, but that's just true in every area of life. You will go towards what you're focused on. That's true in our spiritual lives as well. We will move towards whatever we are watching or paying attention to. And so that means that if even if you are not consciously choosing to follow the kind of people in verse 18, if you are watching these people, reading these people, listening to these people, paying close attention to these kind of people, you will inevitably drift in their direction. And what we're talking about now primarily is the media that we consume. The things that we read online, the shows that we watch, the movies that we watch, the music we listen to. I'm not going to tell you what movies to watch or what music to listen to. I'm just going to caution you. Be careful what you read, what you listen to, and what you watch, and how much you read it and listen to it and watch it. Because you will drift towards what you pay attention to. No matter what, you will. And that's the danger here. I don't think any of you are foolish enough to call anyone like in verse 18 your role model. But if you're listening to their music all the time, if you're watching their shows all the time, if you're reading the stuff they write all the time, 
it will influence you. you. You can't control that. It will. It's wired into your genes. Be very careful. Okay, so Paul cautions us about who not to pay too much attention to. Instead, he wants us to pay close attention to the opposite kind of people. And he's going to mention two more traits for us and those who should be our role models. The ideal role model, trait number four, is someone who is pursuing holiness. You see that in verse 17, join in following my example. Observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. So you follow someone who walks according to the pattern or their, their model in life is what you see in this book. They're really trying to live out the commands of Jesus and his followers. Now that doesn't mean you're looking for someone who is perfect. There's no one other than Jesus who's perfect. What you're looking for is someone who truly seeks to obey That's their ambition in life. They really want to obey Jesus. They take obedience seriously. That means that they don't make excuses for sin. They don't make compromises with sin. When they sin, they confess it. They they practice good accountability. They're striving for greater holiness in their life. No matter how old they are, they're always looking to grow and become more obedient to Jesus. That's the kind of person you should follow. So really the exact opposite of the kind of person in verse 18. Finally, fifth characteristic of the ideal role model is someone who is longing for heaven. So again, it's the exact opposite of the person in verse 18 who, who, or person nine, verse 19 who set their, their minds on earthly things. Ideal role models set their minds on heavenly things. And, and what I mean by that is they're people who are living primarily for the next life. It's the kind of person who you can just tell from how they live that, that their hopes are fixed on what they'll receive in the next life, not what they'll receive in this life. And I'm thinking of the kind of person who they're not totally focused. They're not living for that next bonus or next vacation or next house or next car. Not that there's anything wrong with a bonus or a vacation or a house or a car, but those aren't their ambition in life. That's not what they're living for. When you look at what drives them, what gets them up in the morning, it's not that next reception of money or that next possession or that next earthly experience. What gets them up in the morning is a thought of what the next life is going to be for them, of what it's going to be like to, to meet Jesus. That's what motivates them. And when I think about this, when I think, for who are my role models here? For me, it's my professors that I met at Dallas Theological Seminary. Um, a lot of the professors I met had really big brains. They were incredibly brilliant men and women who, who knew a lot of stuff and had gone and gotten PhDs, um, done an incredible amount of work, written a lot of books. And what amazed me was that these men and women had the intellect and clearly the writing skills to be able to make a lot of money in other fields. They, they could have done that. They, they had the intellect for it. They had the gift for it. And yet they chose to teach at a seminary and invest in kind of the next generation of leaders for God's church. And I'll just tell you, seminary professors do not earn much money. Very little. I mean, they drove the worst cars and they lived in little houses and they were not living the life they could have had. Why? Because they longed for heaven. They set their sights on what the next life would be. They weren't looking for fulfillment in this life. And that was an incredible example to me. I was blown away to meet these, these men and women who were more brilliant than I could ever imagine and yet who willingly chose to live very humble lives for the sake of building the kingdom of Jesus Christ. That's the kind of person I, I want to live up to, that I, I want to look up to 
a role model who is living for heaven. And so you cannot control the fact that you're going to follow someone. You just got to accept that. You are a follower because you're human. You will follow someone or many someones. All you get to choose is who it's going to be. And so as you think about who am I going to follow in this life, my encouragement is to own this list, memorize this list, look for this list, and the people who you pay attention to, the people who you, you fixate on, that you watch, that you, that you follow. Look for people who are selfless, proven, willing to suffer for others, who are pursuing holiness, and who are longing for heaven. Find that kind of role model, follow them, and you will do well. In life, you become like that. You will become a role model for other people to follow. So I'm going to close this in prayer and we're going to pray that God will help us, each of us, to find or have at least one role model, if not multiple role models in our lives described by that list. And then we're going to ask God to work through those role models and through the power of his spirit and his word to shape us into people who can be role models like that to others. Okay? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for giving us in Scripture a clear explanation of how to live. You've not left us wandering around in the dark wondering how our lives should work. Instead, you've told us plainly, here is what you should do and say and think. Here is how to live. Here is how to walk through this life. We thank you for the clarity of your word. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you would now surround each of us with role models, with mentors who we can learn from. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to find and and choose to follow role models who are described by the list on the screen. That we would find people in our lives who are selfless and, and who are proven and who sacrifice for others and pursue holiness and long for heaven. I pray for every single person in this room that each person would have at least one role model to look up to and to follow who will help them to become someone also described by this list. Lord, and that's the other side of this equation that we pray that you would shape each and every single one of us in this room to make us like this list so that other people can follow us. And we know statistically, Lord, in this town, people are gone within five years. Whether they're students or adults, that's the average amount of time a person spends in this this town and at this church. And so we know that you're going to send many of us all over the country, all over the world. We pray that during our time here in College Station, that you would help us to grow in accordance with this list. So that wherever we go next, people can follow us and look up to us and grow to become more like Jesus. And that's ultimately what we want our lives to become, a mirror directing people to Jesus so they can see him and grow to be more like him. We thank you so much for your word, for your son, for your spirit, and for your church. Thank you for all the good you have done and brought into our lives. Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. God bless you guys. Enjoy the sun today. Have a great day.